The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Carrie Carbonaro. She is known as the Money Queen. Her book is called The Money Queen's Guide. She's a financial planner, and welcome to the show. Carrie, nice to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start with a little bit of your background. You had a background on Wall Street, but tell us a little bit about uh, your background before you became a, a certified financial planner on your own. Sure. So I had worked uh, my, my starting. I started out in J.P. Morgan Chase and the management training program, and then I worked at Citibank, and then I worked at Lord Abbott uh, Mutual Fund Investment, private investment firm. Um, I was director for them. Uh, that was my last job before I went out on my own to start my own firm, which was in right after 9-11. That was interesting timing. What was it like starting a firm right after 9-11? It was crazy timing to start a firm because everything was collapsing. You know, the world was collapsing around us, and there was a, so much fear. Um, but it was also a great time because everybody was looking for assurance and calming and planning and, you know, their world just fell apart. So where do you start from there? So it's a great time for a certified financial planner. So what I drove you to write the book, The Money Queen's Guide? There are a lot of so, books out there. Uh, yeah, I'm often, that's one of my most often asked questions. So I have 25 years experience working with clients and seeing what they've done right and what they've done wrong. And so I have this whole, that whole book in my head, and believe me, I have many more to come, but this was the first one that I got out. So I have all this information about what women have done, or actually women specifically, because that's mainly my client base. It's not exclusively, but it's mainly women. Um, and what they've done throughout the years, what's positive and negative. Um, and then I also had my own story, which I really wanted to share. So it was really like two books in one. I wanted to tell the story of myself, what happened to me, um, my upbringing, uh, my divorce, my financial infidelity, um, not by me, but by my ex-husband. Um, and so I felt like it was a, a good place so that I thought if, if this could happen to me, it could happen to anyone, and I would really like to prevent it from happening to other people in the world, especially women. Let's start, we're going to get into all the details of all the advice you're giving, but let's kind of start a broader uh, look here. What is the state of women and their finances these days? Are they doing better? Are they doing worse? What's their level of financial education? I mean, I know there's a big variation, but just give me an overall sense of... Overall, if I could compare women to men, women are less financially literate than men. And that is the overall. Now, we've got so many things. The problem is that this is my, my, my biggest issue, is that there's so many strikes against women. So... We make less because of the pay, pay wage gap. We work less because we are doing caregiving or taking time off to raise children. 
We have lower Social Security because we're working less and we make less. We live longer, which is like a huge thing because we need more money. And then to, to top it all off or to put the, you know, the, the cherry on top, we are more conservative. So we don't invest and we like to hold on to cash. So it's like five strikes. And so uh, what is being done, I mean, other than your book, to improve financial literacy among women? Is it working? You know, I don't know the answer to that question. It's interesting because April is, you know, financial literacy month. And um, I will be teaching women financial literacy till the day I pass because that's my um, goal in life and my, and my passion in life. Um, other than, you know, there's also some others who feel the same way, but I guess there's some things, there's some ways that we're just not getting through because women still think, you know, financial literacy is about math and that somebody else is supposed to take care of this for them. And so many of them are going to wind up alone at one point in their lives because either from being a widow or a divorce or maybe even when they start out and they're single in their 20s. So they're going to have to learn this financial literacy anyway. It's just the sooner the better they learn it. And unfortunately, as you know, we don't learn it in school. What are the typical problems that the, your clients are bringing to you that you're able to help them with? Um, I can pretty much help my clients with any type of problems except for one problem I struggle with is um, overspending. And overspending is a really big issue that I have a hard time with because if you spend more than you make, you're always going to be um, in a financial disarray. And when I tell somebody you have to spend less than what you make and you constantly don't listen and you're using and you're spending down your assets because you're using, you know, let's say you have a nest egg and you're overspending every single year and then you're whittling away that nest egg instead of letting it grow, you're whittling it away. Um, and I'm telling you every time we meet, you're going to run out of money. I'm the one who's, who's losing sleep over this and they are not until the point when they're going to be out of money. Your first chapter is called, Are You a Material Girl? So why do they spend too much? Why are they so taken by material goods? Uh, and what can be done to rein that in? Well, it's interesting. I think, first of all, to rein it in, it's more of knowing, knowing what you're spending. I mean, there's a lot of women who don't even know what they spend every month. So they don't even know that they're overspending. They just get anxiety when it comes to paying the bills. If you have anxiety when it comes to paying the bills or seeing the credit cards, you're probably overspending. That's my first rule of thumb. But I guess, so then the, the other part of the question was, uh, you know, are you a material girl and why, you know, why do women love to spend? Well, I have a thing in, in my book about there's, you know, different money personalities, which is United Capital, my firm has, um, which is happiness, fear, and money mind. So women who are happiness money minds like instant gratification. It makes them feel good. It, it's all about the here and now. It's not necessarily for the long-term planning. So they need to figure out that their current or they need to work with somebody to tell them or that their current situation, they can't just keep spending, spending, spending because the little bit that they save today will yield them so much in the future. And that's really just what I want to get across and teach them. You talk about financial therapy uh, is admitting they have a problem. Is that hard for people to do? Um, I don't know. I would say it depends on the person. I would say it depends on the person. I mean, it's interesting because 
the, some of the really poor, um, I guess, or overspenders, most of them usually are not my clients. I mean, so it's, 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 it's even rare that I get a client who is an overspender, but I do get clients who are overspenders. And I, would, I think for me as a financial planner and being so uh, teaching the principles of, you know, basic financial literacy that when somebody's an overspender, they're pretty much every part of their life or their financial life is in disarray because it just, because, it, you know, they don't have enough. They don't know what they have coming, coming in and going out. They don't know what's left over. They can't create financial, a financial future because they don't even have any money today. You say that the uh, reason they're overspending is more emotional than it is financial. Uh, you say that the, the emotional drivers are commitment, fear, and happiness. So how does that yes. uh, lead into overspending? So, well, actually, the happiness money mind is the one that really overspends. So the fear is actually less likely to spend. Um, it's interesting. I would wonder what you, what you are if you take the test. <laughs> I happen to be a fear money mind. So because of my fear money mind, it makes me not overspend, and it makes me um, save more and ha- you know have my rainy day fund and have my emergency fund and have all you know have all my ducks in a row because fear is what what emotionally how i emotionally react to money so what it is is it's actually a subconscious um view of how you react to money so it's it's not like you purposely say oh i'm fear so i'm not going to do that but in my i know in my subconscious if I, somebody says I'm going to spend $5,000 on that pocketbook, I have a heart attack because I think I'd rather keep that $5,000 in the bank account. Yep. I don't need that pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so it, it's interesting because it's not, it's not necessarily a conscious choice. It's a subconscious choice. You, you, you say that a lot of women worry they're going to be on the street or kind of bag ladies if they do things yes. wrong. Is that a, a pretty common thing? And what should people to do to combat, combat that fear? Well, it's interesting. So um, the, the bag lady fear is very strong. And 57% of women say that, uh, you know, running out of money keeps them up at night. And more than half of women have the fear of becoming a bag lady. And, you know, it's interesting because I think to myself, if you have that fear, that you would want to be good with your money. You would want to save. You would want to not overspend. You would want to invest wisely. You would want to do, you know, work and take care of yourself and be financially independent. So to me, being, uh, you know, having the bag lady fear, learning the knowledge and then, and then practicing in action the good principles of, you know, money management is going to keep you from being the bag lady. So it's going to keep you, you can actually prevent your fear from coming true. You talk about the difference between being a bag lady and a designer bag lady. That's a very yeah. big difference in your lifestyle, right? Yes. So it's interesting. So um, 27% of females who make over $200,000, or is it two fifty? I can't remember. I can't remember if it's two fifty or two hundred, but it's a, it's a significant amount of money that uh, more than a quarter of them are afraid that they're going to be homeless. And you would think somebody who makes that kind of money as a woman is not going to be homeless because it's, no, it's almost an irrational fear if you're making it every year and you're, you know, you're certainly self-supporting yourself. But um, we have it. I, I mean, I'm one of, one of those women. I have it. It's not even rational at this point, but I still have the fear. Because it doesn't 
it's not going to happen. I mean, it's very unlikely to happen in, in something like that, but it grips you. And, and it, so if you have that fear, how should you uh, deal with it? And so it doesn't kind of irrationally take over your financial decisions. Well, it's interesting. So this is what I do, and I'm thinking about a specific person that I did this for. So every time I would meet with her, she would say to me, you know, I'm really concerned. I'm going to run out of money. And every single time I would meet with her, I would go through the, the numbers with her, assure her, you know, show her her net worth, show her her budget, show her her um, financial score on, you know, uh, which is what, you know, United Capital has a financial score. So see, see where you are. So to actually reassure her every single time we met, she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. And it's interesting because over the years, she's actually gotten to the point where she's not worried anymore. So and it can be overcome. I did my saying. job. Yes, very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Carrie Carbonaro. Uh, she's done a book called The Money Queen Guide, The Money Queen's Guide, and there is a website for that, which is moneyqueenguide.com. And we'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Carrie Carbonaro. Uh, she's an author of a new book called The Money Queen's Guide for Women Who Want to Build Wealth and Banish Fear. Uh, there's a website related to the book, which is moneyqueenguide.com. Welcome back to the show, Carrie. Thank you for having me again. So tell people what they can find at that website in addition to information about the book directly. Oh, sure. So um, if you go to moneyqueenguide.com, dot uh, com backslash press, you can see hundreds of uh, radio, TV, uh, blogs, um, print, 
um, internet um, interviews and and everything that you I, everything that you'll want to know or or learn about having to do with financial literacy for women. Very good. So you have what you call the five keys to financial planning. So let's just start right off. What is the first key to financial planning? Sure. It's know your net worth. So that is your assets minus liabilities equals net worth. And I always like to uh, explain the story where I had um, somebody come in to me and tell me that they had a $25 million net worth. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot. And then when I sat down and looked at his assets minus liabilities, he had $25 million in assets and $24 million in liabilities. So his net worth was actually $1 million versus $25 million. And what is the purpose of, once you know your net worth, what are you supposed to do with that? What you're supposed to do is grow it every single year. That is my goal for myself, my clients, anybody I work with, um, anybody, everybody on the planet should be wanting to grow their net worth every year. If you're following the financial principles of paying down debt, increasing your assets, contributing to your 401k, um, except for like the year of like the financial crisis in 2008, you should be able to grow your net worth every single year. And 2008 was a blip because then 2009, it was back up again. So what if you're a so, negative net worth, meaning you have more debt than you have assets? What are you supposed to do about that? Such a good question. So I always say, especially for women, that your net worth does not equal your self-worth. And guess what? The reason that, you, that it's a negative is because you haven't been focusing on it. You haven't been looking at it. It's like shining the light on it. You know, you're hiding in the dark with a negative net worth. Now you're going to shine the light on it. You're going to see it, and you're going to do things to fix it. It's just your, second rule is to, on it. Your, your second rule is to know how you're doing. So what are yes. some things you can do to write down to kind of track how you're doing financially? Well, I think you should first look at where you're doing for, based on yourself. Um, so where, where are you and where do you want to go? Um, you can also look at how you're doing versus your peers, but I'd rather just have you benchmark yourself against yourself. So you should know where you are and then eat, you should increase yourself every year. And also know where your weak spots are. Am I overspending? Am I, do I have too much credit card debt? You know, you know, do I have too much? Am I paying too much for my house? Do I have, am I overpaying for my car? Do I have too expensive of a car? You know, there's so many different areas. So is there a form that you fill out to track how you're doing that you, you offer? Um, I have a online, um, just a worksheet, which is um, your just your net worth. So you, it's like a, a network worksheet. And actually, if they e- if anybody emails me, I will email it to them, and they can do it themselves. The and my third... email, do you want my email now, or we'll send it? Oh uh, yeah, give me your email now. That's fine. Sure, it's um, um, Carrie at unitedcp.com. I guess you can email Carrie with, uh, and she'll send you that form. Uh, your you third rule is to on keep our, on you target. You can also email through our website as well. Uh, your your next one is to keep on target to meet your goal. So, what kind of goal setting should people do? Short, medium, long term. Yes. And, and then, how do they keep on track to meet those goals? Yes. Well, it's interesting. So, I definitely short, medium, and long term. That's the best way to do it. And. Um, it depends, you know, every single person has different goals in their lives and what they want. And it's, to me, it's, it's so unbelievable because people don't even write their goals down. 
or that, you know, it's all about planning for your future. And I always say that women spend more time planning their weddings and their vacations than they do their financial life, which is really horrible to me because this is the rest of your life. So put your, put them down on a piece of paper, put them down on your refrigerator, put them down anywhere you want, put them down on your, on your bathroom mirror so that you know what you're, what you're saving for or what, why you're doing what you're doing. Cause you have to have it tied to something, even something emotional like, um, you know, your first house or, or something and, or a beach house or whatever so that you have a picture of it so that you can connect with why you're doing what you're doing because most people have to have a reason for what they're doing it and a reason to keep themselves on track. So if you have three different levels of goals, short-term, maybe the next year, medium-term, maybe the next five years, long-term, maybe the next 30 years, how do you keep making progress towards all three at the same time? Well, it's interesting. I usually say do a third, a third, a third. So let's say you had, um, if you know your budget numbers, let's say you have, I don't know, $300 left over at the end of the month. So you put 100 in your, in your short-term goals, 100 in your, in your medium goals, and 100 in your long-term goals, which is probably retirement. And then that's a, that's a good way to do it, in my opinion. The next rule is to have an advocate or coach to help you. What, yes. what role can they play, and how do you find one that's trustworthy? Sure. So, well, it depends, and I don't mean specifically to hire a, a certified financial planner, but if you were to hire somebody in my profession, you can go to um, letsmakeaplan.org, which is where the CFP board lists all the board-certified financial planners. Um, but if you feel like you can't afford um, a, a certified financial planner, then you should talk with somebody who you trust, like a friend or a teacher or somebody who you know is doing good things with their money. They're either saving or they're, they're living a nice life. The only thing is that's interesting is so it's hard when you, talk, when you look at that because sometimes people who you think have a lot of money um, on the outside don't really because it's all for show. So you have to be really, really careful with that. Um, I think I think everybody should have at least one conversation with the CFP. Um, usually, the first initial consultation is free. Almost almost everybody. So it's worth at least going there, getting the worksheets, and seeing is this worth it to me or not. I I believe, I believe that everybody on the planet should have a financial planner, a certified financial planner. But that's just me. And I'm a little bit biased. Is, your fifth rule is to sleep better, knowing you're financially secure. Yeah. Um, th- does it work that way? I mean, it's like you, it's a constantly changing thing though. It's not like you, you're done and that's it. You have to keep, keep it up. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, but what happens is over time, like I, it was funny, I was th- like the woman I was talking about before is once you have somebody who's advocating for you and who's coaching you and who's, who's, uh, you know, helping you with your money and knowing that you're on, that you're on track, you can sleep better at night. You can feel more confident. I mean, I, I probably get that the most. Um, that's probably the biggest compliment that I, I get from my clients is the fact that, you know, I can sleep better at night because of you. Yeah. And I, I take that as the ultimate compliment. So then you have a chapter which is called Fail to Plan is Plan to Fail. Yes. So what does it take to get people to, to make plans that they can then follow through on? It's hard. It's very challenging. Um, you know, I always say, how, how can you get where you're going in life without a map? 
right? I mean, you can't just, I always say, the other thing is, you know, if you do nothing, you get nothing, and nothing is more important than your financial future, right? So it's, it's unbelievable to me that just, that's back to my why everybody needs a plan. I just, if you think, you know, you think about it, so certified financial planners have only been around for 30 years. And the reason that our, our profession is relatively new is because everybody used to rely on pensions. And pensions and Social Security filled the void for retirement. And it's completely reversed over the last 30 years. Pensions have gone away. Social Security doesn't cover except for the basic needs. Um, and you are required to fund your own retirement. And I don't think people, I mean, I guess people maybe, maybe Generation Xers and Millennials sort of get it, but I think the boomers were, were kind of like, oh, yeah, we have to do this ourselves. I don't know. <laughs> it just, it, it sort of sprang upon them because their parents didn't have to do it. Uh, so the boomers didn't do as well planning, and so their, their kids are not doing as well as what you're saying. No, no, I'm just, I'm just making an observation that the boomers were the first generation that actually had to do it, had to plan for their own future. And I think, and I think that the, the Xers and the millennials know that they have to do it. I'm not saying that they actually are doing it. They just know that they have to do it. One of the things you talk about is the credit crunch. So is this where people's credit scores are lower than they think they are? What can they do to improve their credit scores? Sure. So, um, well, one thing I always say is to check your credit score annually. It's a lifelong tool that everybody needs, um, you know, no matter where you are in your life and no matter how much income you have, you still need a credit, you still need, need good credit. Um, and understanding the, the importance of the credit and your score and how it affects you over your lifetime. So what happens is, it's funny, this is like where they say that the, the rich become richer and the poor become poorer because when you have a good credit score, you pay less. You pay less for everything. You pay less for your credit cards, or or you don't pay at all because you're paying them off in full. You pay lower costs for your a mortgage and your car loans and your leases and pretty much everything. When you have utilities, you don't have to put down money because you have a good credit score, so you don't have to put any deposits down or or pay any higher higher fees. And when you don't have a good credit score, then it's the opposite. Everything is the opposite, and so you're paying. In, I had a client who was paying 6.5 on their credit on their mortgage, and their house was underwater, so they couldn't refinance it. And the average rate right now is about, I don't know, three, three, three or four percent. So that's a massive amount difference, and it's a difference of almost double. Um, so on, you know, let's say it was a regular, you know, $1,500 mortgage. They're now paying $3,000 on that same $1,500 mortgage because of the credit score. Is it particularly women who in many cases don't have credit in their own names? You know, if they're... They are definitely lower than men. It's interesting because I, there was a credit sesame score um, article that came out. It was very, it was an excellent um, article. It's actually on my website. Um, and they said that definitely the credit scores are lower for females than males. However, Experian just came out with a score, a, a, a report last week that said no females are higher than males, which was a total shocker, and honestly, I don't know which one's true. Okay. <laughs> because I guess it depends on which way you look at the data. They may be more responsible, but their income is lower in many cases. Exactly. And they don't have as many years uh, building a credit history. 
Yes. Exactly. Very good. Well, we're going to take another break. Lower, lower mortgages and lower balances and things like that. Yes. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Carrie Carbonara. Uh, she's done a book called The Money Queen's Guide, uh, which you can find out more about at her website, moneyqueenguide.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Carrie Carbonaro. Uh, She's the money queen, and her book is called The Money Queen's Guide. There is a website related to it, which is moneyqueenguide.com. Welcome back to the show, Carrie. Thank you. So you go in the book through the different age groups, the 20s through the 60s, kind of uh, decade by decade. So let's start with what you call the roaring 20s. What are some things that particularly relate to women they should be doing right in their 20s when they're getting their career established? Okay. My first thing is start investing for your retirement no matter what. Your first job, I don't care what it is, IRA, Roth, 401k, 403b, 457, this is where you have time on your side and you will never miss the money. Even if they say they're making a small amount, they can barely make it, they should still be saving it. I don't care. I I say this all the time. I even had this happen with my stepson. He says to me, um, his first job, I can't afford to put money in my 401k. And I said, you can't afford not to put money in your 401k. I said, you will never miss it. Let's see, even say if you start with 3%. 3% and then after taxes is like, you know, 2% because it's pre-tax and there's no way you're ever going to miss 2% of a little tiny about, amount of money. It's like pennies. Okay, and you start get saving. A match, 
and you're going to invest it over time. And the next thing you're going to look around, you're going to have a nest egg that you said, whoa, where did that come from? Okay, so that's one of the first things. What else can you do in your 20s? You have to establish a budget. And, you know, we haven't talked about that yet, and that's what I usually, that's like one of the things I usually always talk about because you have to know what's coming in and what's going out and then see what's left over because what's left over is how you create that financial future and you save for those short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals. So you have to have to learn how to do that with your first job and then carry it through the rest of your life. Then you say managing your student loans is important for people in their 20s. They're coming out of school with an awful lot of loans. What can people do to lessen the burden of student loans? Well, they should... um, (laughs) I sort of want them to do stuff before they come out of school with student loans. (laughs) I'd like to start at age 18 if we could go backwards. So, um, But, you know, don't, don't, don't go to a school that is going to be outrageous with outrageous loans, if, if you can, you know, it, unless it's some reason that you have to go to that school. I think that people at age 18 are not qualified to make those decisions, you know, and they just don't even understand what student loan debt is. And, you know, community colleges are great and, and state schools are great. And I, I use the example in my, in my book about my father said to me, you know, I'll pay for a state school or if you want to go to a private school, you have to take out loans. And honestly, I was 18 years old, and I was money savvy because I was raised that way, but I said, debt? Why would I want to take out debt? It's like such a horribly negative thing to me. I said, forget it. I'll go to a, I'll go to a state school. What, what do I care? And that was it. And that was, that, was my, uh, that was my, so I came out with zero debt because I did it, did it that way. But I just think that people have to make important choices when it comes to college. Don't overspend for college so that you're already coming out with saddled with debt. When my stepson went, we, we gave him options about same thing with college, private versus pr- public, and he decided to go to private because he was playing tennis, and he was on a, a partial tennis scholarship. So he, we wanted to make sure that he had some skin in the game with some loans, and we explained to him what they were, we actually took them and said, okay, if you owed $5,000 a year, that would be 20000 when you got out at 10%, you know, at whatever the interest rate over 10 years is going to be a payment of, you know, $350. Um, so are you okay with having a $350 payment when you come out, which is pretty much a car payment? And he was like, oh. So I think that breaking it down like that before you, with an 18-year-old is probably the best way to do it. So you have not three, that crazy student loan debt. You have three do's and three don'ts as relating to student loans. What, what are your three do's? Um, okay, my three do's of student loans. Let's see. We've got a oh. lot. So, give me applying one for free money is the first one. Free money, absolutely. You, we have to do we have to do our free money. Um, consider job offers that forgive or repay student loans. I love that one. And do get a part-time job when you are in school because then you'll always have money while you're in school to start paying off those student loans. My don'ts are do not fail your classes because if you do, you're going to be owing things. You're going to still have that debt and you're still going to, and you're not even going to, you're not forgiven. Then you still have to pay, go for more classes and just don't fail, period. Do not accept all financial aid assistance if you do not need it. It's not um, free money. 
you're going to have to, the time is going to come to pay the piper. And do not apply to any school without understanding the real cost. Back to my, my thought on that is that, you know, not all schools are created equal. Some schools are overpriced. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, rankings, college rankings about, you know, the schools that cost the lowest and have the best, you know, job placement when you get out. Look at those. So, I mean, a lot of people don't do what you're saying. They, they go to that. more expensive schools. Uh, they don't get scholarships. They take on too much debt, and then they're in real trouble. So do you, do you see that in your practice where people's um, kids I do, are coming? although actually it's funny because my clients' children, we usually um, have college paid for So because we, we plan for it. So college is already paid for, so we don't have those student loan debt problems that most people do because we're planning way in advance. I mean, most of my um, clients, we actually plan from the day that the child is born. So we have 18 years. Yeah, that's much better. <laughs> Very good. All right, let's move on to the next area, which is your 30s. Uh, this is where you say, before walking down the aisle, forge a path for the future. So what, what do people do wrong before they start getting married in their 30s? Okay, so very important. When you are marrying somebody, you're also marrying their money. You're not just marrying that person. So I always say, you know, full financial disclosure before you even get married, you should look at it. You should have sit, a sit down with them, look at each other's credit scores, look at each other's credit reports, look at each other's assets and liabilities, and full financial disclosure. You know, get all those skeletons out of a closet that you may or may not be embarrassed about, but you are merging your lives including your money and your debt. And so, you know, it's also um, money is one of the biggest reasons that people get divorced. It's the, you know, so you should know now where you guys are. If, you know, one person's a spender and one person's a saver, it's going to cause some issues down the road and you need to know it right, right out, right up front. So do you think a prenup is a good idea for most people? Yes, I do. Especially if um, there's, unequal if they're unequal I mean if they both have nothing then you don't really need it but if one person has a large amount and the other person has nothing then the answer is probably yes and if both people have a lot then the answer is probably yes and then after you're married how do you kind of come up with a system to manage your money uh, to make things better instead of worse this is such a problem in, in causing divorce well, I, what I like to, this is how I feel, and this is my personal opinion, um, is to have three separate accounts. So you have um, the husband has an account, the wife has an account, and then you have the joint account that pays the bills, the joint bills together. So then this way you each have your own independence, and then you have your group that you pay together. And then you also sit down once a week and have a, some sort of financial discussion about what's going on. And then you come up with, like, ground rules that, you know, you're not going to make a unilateral decision of something over, I don't know, $20,000 or whatever you come up with. And then that other, other than that, you guys make joint decisions. And how about buying a home together? Is, what are some of the pitfalls that people get into when they're buying a home in their 30s? So I think the most important thing for that is that people don't overpay for their homes. And I see this a lot. So, you know, during the financial crisis of 08 and 09, it was brought on from uh, people overspending on their homes in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7. 
you know, and people were completely overpaying and pretty much anybody could get a mortgage, including, you know, your cat or dog could get a mortgage. And, you know, they were had, you know, you know, the big, you know, you, I'm sure you saw the big short with the, the no income, no assets, uh, uh yeah. loans where anybody could get a loan. Um, so, we're, we're, I don't want anybody to go down that path again. And the whole time that that was happening, I kept saying, these guidelines are not right. They're, they're pushing the guidelines. So I have what's called the, you know, the conservative 28-36 ratio, which is you take your gross income times 0.28, um, and then you figure out what you can qualify for. Actually, you take your gross income. So I'll just give you an example. So $50,000 divided by 12 is 4,166. You times that by 0.28, and that's $1,166. And that's the maximum that you could qualify for for principal interest taxes and insurance. You're basically saying 36% of your gross income is the maximum. that was 28, actually. Then 36 is the other debt. I see. When you combine... Mortgage plus credit card debt, that should be maximum yes, 36% of your adjusted exactly. And so if you can stick to those nice conservative rules, which were thrown out the window from 9-11 to 2007, or yes, they were completely thrown out, thrown out the window, but those are the normal rules of underwriting. And we're back to them now anyway. But if you, were, if you follow those rules, you would have never gotten into these problems of over um, extension of your house. And then your next chapter is your fantastic 40s. What's next? So say you, you're so, well married, you've got a nice house. What, what are some things you should be doing during your 40s, according to your book? Well, it's interesting because 40s, I always say, is a, is a really like a rebirth chapter because it's a lot, there's a lot of different things you can do. A lot of people can go, go out on their own. Um, should, it, should you be your own boss? You know, you've been working for a company for X amount of years. You might want to be able to, can you go out on your own, and what, what are the pros and cons of that? Or there's women in their 40s who are ready to go back into the workforce because they may have left the workforce to, you know, go out and raise children, and they have to come back, what I call a career relaunch, which is actually hard because you actually have to figure out you haven't, ha- you haven't had the skills. So how do you get back in? And there's actually a whole thing on career relaunches where companies are actually, uh, for example, like J.P. Morgan Chase, are actually going out and h- hiring women who are out of the workforce to raise their families and getting them back into And then they take um, uh, work relaunch internships as well. You actually have some resources on that particular topic, what you call relaunch resources. What are some of the resources that help people do that? Sure. Let me me grab some of them. So we've got, um, let's see, I got right here. Page 103 of your book. (laughs) There we go. Sorry. You're ahead of me. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, irelaunch.com, encore.com, retirementjobs.com and AARP.org. And so what are some of the things at those resources that can help people relaunch their careers? So it gives them specific programs that they can go into for learning, you know, the job skills, for figuring out, you know, where they should be, um, you know, because it's, you know, let's say they haven't touched a, the, a program, uh, you know, it, the technology is constantly changing, so they need to relearn the, the technology and then figure out, you know, what 
would be work for them at this point in their lives. And it's not that they're old. They still have plenty of years to work if they want to. It's just that they've been out. So it's a nice way to get in. And I, like I said, I, I know that um, I love that J.P. Morgan Chase, which is one of my alma maters, specifically hires women who are coming back to the workforce. And uh, you also say in many cases people get remarried and you have blended families. What are some of the financial pit- pitfalls of blended families? Yeah, so it's interesting. So you have to figure out, you know, with blended families, you know, establishing the ground rules early for the children and the stepchildren, you know, what's going to change, what's going to stay the same, what's going to happen to inheritances. Um, you know, when my dad um, got remarried and we blended our family, he was excellent right up front, right up front. And before he even married my stepmom, he said to me, I just want to let you know your inheritance is now going to be split with your stepbrother and stepsister. Are you okay with that? Of course I said yes, but I was like, I was like a teenager when he asked me that question. At least you knew it was happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that was great. And I was like, of course, but it was just, it was great. But yeah. Cause in many cases t- you know, it's done with secrecy is what you're saying. Yes. No, it's, it can't be, it can't be secrecy, you know, keep everything equal. You know, you can't, that's the, that's the other thing is, you know, you can't favor biological versus non-biological. It's, it's, you know, everything should be equal. Um, you know, who's going to take care of the parents, things like that, agree upon household roles and responsibilities and protect your future if one spouse dies. Because sometimes, and I've seen this happen actually with clients, that um, in a blended family that one spouse dies and they get remarried and the children from the, first, from the second marriage get disinherited. Yeah, that's that's a bad scene. Very good. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Carrie Carbonaro. Uh, she's the author of a book called The Money Queen's Guide for Women Who Want to Build Wealth and Banish Fear. You can find out more about it at moneyqueenguide.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Carrie Carbonaro. Uh, she is a financial planner based in Long Island. Uh, her, comp- her new book is called The Money Queen's Guide for Women Who Want to Build Wealth and Banish Fear. There's a website related to it. You can also email her at moneyqueenguide.com. Welcome back to the show, Carrie. Thank you for having me. So we've been through the 20s, 30s, and 40s. So now in the 50s, you call the fabulous 50s, avoiding the landmines. What are some of the landmines when women get into their 50s? I have seen, um, unfortunate, a couple of Ponzi schemes in my life. And that is a, that is a scary one that I would like most everybody on the planet to avoid. So that's one of my land, what's one of the landmines that happens. Um, the other landmine, which is a big one, is caring for aging parents. Okay. So let's talk so, about the Ponzi schemes first. So what is the sign? I mean, Bernie Madoff got away with it for 25 years and nobody seemed to see it. But what are the signs that, that uh, you know, there's a Ponzi scheme that you don't want to get involved in? Well, so we had one on Long Island called Agape World, which um, Nicholas Cosmo was the person's name. And he was promising, um, it's just interesting because I, I was lucky enough to get um, one of my clients brought it to me. And I got to see the information or the collateral material. And it had a, a, a chart, which I, I almost fell off my chair when I saw it, where it said, you know, ca- you know cash 2% and stocks, you know, or bonds 6% and stocks, you know, 7% and um, agape world, you know, 25 or 100% or something crazy like that. And, and then also under agape, no risk and under everything else, risk. I mean, it was just hysterical, and I said, you've got to be kidding me with this. And so I actually submitted it to the SEC, and he got taken down probably five months after the fact. Not that I got any credit for it, because I didn't get any credit for it, but I, at least I saved my one client from losing all their money. Um, it's by promising too big a return. Put, is that, that's the key thing? But, yeah, I guess, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. It almost always is. Um, you know, get a second opinion. Pay, that's pay a CFP for an hour of their time uh, or a CPA or somebody who has credentials who can, you know, vet before you give your money to something that sounds too good. Um, you know, there's not, there's always these people. I mean, I, I personally watch American Greed almost every night before I go to bed because I cannot believe all these, all these Ponzi schemes that are out there and that continue to be out there and that people still keep falling for them. And then caring for elderly parents, do elderly parents who don't have enough money rely on the kids to bail them out, or what are the problems with elderly parents? Yeah, so what happens is, yes, so if the parents, do the parents have long-term care? Do the parents have enough assets to take care of themselves? Are the parents going to be a burden on the kids? If so, 
you need to have these conversations. Who's going to be taking care of them? Where are they going to be living? Are they going to be going into a home? Are they going to be depleting assets? Are they going to have to have a reverse mortgage? Are they going to a continuing care retirement community? Um, are you guys going to joint chip in with the, with all the brothers and sisters? You know, it's all these conversations. And um, a lot of my clients um, are paying for their parents right now. Because the parents haven't saved enough. Correct. Yeah. All right, before we run out of time, let's move to the 60s. Uh, you have a chapter called Your Smooth 60s and Beyond, Time to Celebrate. So what are the things that can go right in the 60s, and what are the things to watch out for when you hit the 60s? So when you're at your 60s, if you've actually followed all the rules and the advice, you should have your, big, you should have your nice nest egg at that point in your life. So I feel like it's your time where you're going to get ready to get get ready to go retire to get retired um for women one of the biggest issues is you know losing their spouse and becoming a widow and what you know what not to do during that heart-wrenching time because the statistics are unbelievable about how many women become widowed you know in their 60s and 70s and so it's just it's i I can't even imagine. I just what, know. What are some of the numbers? Tell us what some of the numbers are about widowhood. Um, between 75 and 84, uh, more than 60% of women are single or widowed. After the number jumps to 87% after 85. So most women are going to wind up being widowed. So how do you plan for that financially? Well, I think it's interesting. So you have to work and see that you are ready to go. Can you support yourself without your spouse? Do you have financial literacy to do the bills after your spouse? You know, um, I've actually had clients who've hired me specifically for, okay, when I go, you're going to take care of my wife. So it's just a matter of just planning for it, and, and it's horrible, and nobody wants to think about it, including myself, that it's going to happen someday. But it's, unfortunately, this, that's what the stats are. And right, women just live say. longer. Yeah. In about you a know, minute or so, we have also, that. Why don't you just kind of sum up what difference it will make for people to take the advice that you have in the Money Queen's Guide as opposed to not doing it in the way a lot of women don't, don't take uh, you know, care of these kind of financial areas? They, everybody should do this because it is in their best interest. It is their life. It is their financial future. It is how they're going to make themselves not be fearful throughout their entire lives if they listen to this advice. Uh, Daily Worth uh, said that my book was one of the ten books that will make you rich. And so I always, and my brother says, if you're not rich, buy it. <laughs> okay. And if you are, you don't have to. <laughs> Because there's an emotional element as well as a financial element in getting over the fear of dealing with these issues that women in many cases are not feeling empowered. Correct. They're actually feeling the opposite of empowered. They feel, and 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 that's exactly my this my whole reason for for writing this book was to empower women to be able to do this and take care of themselves and be financially independent and stand on their own two feet without having a man or with a man. Either way, they can still do it themselves. So your clients, are they mostly in the Long Island area, or you do have them all over the country? I have all over the country. So you can deal with people on the phone and not necessarily in person? Yes. I like to meet people in person, though, but yes, I can deal with them anywhere. 
Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Carrie Carbonero. Uh, her book is called The Money Queen's Guide uh, for Women Who Want to Build Wealth and Banish Fear. Uh, you can find out more about her at her website, moneyqueenguide.com. We've learned a lot. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.